Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. The 1926 season of professional football would truly be pivotal and really a lot different than ever before. The NFL would be growing to new heights that had never seen before, but there would be a rival league and the National Football League would lose their biggest star. Find out all about it in this journal entry of Pro Football History 1926 season coming up in just a moment. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. Your host, Darren Hayes, is podcasting from America's North Shore to bring you the memories of the gridiron one day at a time. So as we come out of the tunnel of the Sports History Network, let's take the field and go no huddle through the portal of positive gridiron history with pigskindispatch.com. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of pigskindispatch.com. Welcome once again to the Pigpen, your portal to positive football history. And we are in your football history rewind. We haven't been on for a while talking about it. We've been a lot of business going on in the world of football during football season. But we want to get back into this football history rewind here, for at least for a little bit, uh, before we go into our December special, which you'll hear about in just a little bit. But we're going to go football history rewind Part number 59, stay in that 1926 season and pick up where we left off and go into the professional season of football. Now, the 1926 season for professional football was really quite interesting, with college football at its height and definitely the bigger of the two. And now a seven-year-old National Football League was starting to find a little bit of footing on the gridiron landscape. Now, the NFL had blossomed to grow to 22 franchise teams. A figure that would not even be close to that number in professional football until about 1961. The new franchises have been awarded by league officials, including the Brooklyn Lions and the Hartford Blues, also the Los Angeles Buccaneers and the Louisville Colonels. We'll get more back into those last two in just a little bit here later on in the program. They also reconnected with a former team, the Racine Tornadoes, as that group re-entered into the fold of the NFL. There were some losses on the roster of NFL teams, though, too, from the previous season, as the Cleveland Bulldogs decided to sit out the season. We talked about that when we spoke about the Cleveland Bulldogs. Meanwhile, the Rochester Jeffersons suspended operations for the final time as they eventually folded in 1928. And if you haven't heard it yet, go back and listen to that great Rochester Jeffersons episode we have with John Steffenhagen, who is the great-grandson of Leo Lyons, who founded the Rochester Jeffersons and owned them their uh, whole time as a franchise in the NFL. Very quite interesting uh, podcast is there as well. Uh, you can find a link on the article post in Unpickskin Dispatch for this episode, Football History Rewind number 59. There were a few other few name changes too that year as the Akron Pros reemerged for 1926 as the Akron Indians 
and the Duluth Kellys retired that Kelly's name and became the Duluth Eskimos, as well as the Buffalo Bison becoming the Buffalo Rangers. And we got to talk to uh, historian Ken Crippen from the Football Learning Academy about that. He's a big uh, historian on Buffalo sports and I uh, got to talk quite a bit with Ken about the Buffalo Bison, Buffalo Rangers on a previous episode as well. Well, they lost some too in the NFL that year. An old standby franchise, the Rock Island Independence, who we've talked about multiple times, jumped ship out of the NFL to join the American Football League. Yeah, the original AFL, not the ones that, uh, you know, came in with the New York Jets and the Kansas City Chiefs. No, no, no. There was an original way back in 1926. And that group was the first major competitor to the National Football League. And we have a a great uh, talk about that with uh, Chris Willis of NFL Films and his Red Grange book, great link for that in pigskin dispatch on this article post that we're talking about today well the afl conjured up by red grange and one of his innovative promoters cc pile along with general charles x zimmerman was purposely conceived to compete with the nfl the year prior grange had given the nfl a jump start into profits when he left college early was signed by george house the chicago bears and gave the NFL some relevance when Pyle had talked Chicago Bears owner and employer of the Wheaton Heisman in 1925 to go on an exhibition barnstorming tour to a bunch of different cities. Uh, Everybody came out because they wanted to see the fantastic Red Grange and who wouldn't. Now Pyle had negotiated and tried to get himself and the Galloping Ghosts their own NFL franchise for that next season, 1926 in New York City playing in Yankee Stadium, which he had worked out a contract uh, with the owners of Yankee Stadium at the time. But Tim Mara, the owner of the New York Football Giants, leading the NFL acceptance uh, into competing with his New York Football Giants club, uh, they were denied a franchise for the National Football League. Well, Pyle had the, the rights to Yankee Stadium. He knew that was a big deal. He knew he was going to put a team together around Grange. And uh, he had to go with Plan B. And we'll get to that Plan B of C.C. Pyle in just a moment right after you hear this. The Rose Bowl. The game that inspired the college football bowl season has a long and storied history. The stadium itself is 100 years old, and in celebration of it, Pigskin Dispatch is assembling some of the top historians and authors to share the memories, people, and events that make the granddaddy of them all the special game that it is. That's right. Join me, Darren Hayes, on the Pigskin Dispatch podcast here on Sports History Network or your favorite podcast provider from the end of November all the way to the day of the big game. Rose Bowl History from pigskindispatch.com. All right, thanks for listening to that message. Back to our story. Now, C.C. Pyle, one of the uh, 
guys that stood up for Red Grange, one of his managers. Uh, some people still say that the CC in his name stood for Cash and Carry Pile. We know that that's not char- true. It was Charles C. Pile was his name. Uh, well, he saw that he thought it was a lucrative opportunity for he and his client Red. So they embarked on the creation of a new professional league. And that's where the AFL comes in, the league that they created. Since Hallis did not want to pay the asking price for Grange to stay as a bear. Now, another reason that the new AFL contingent hinged their bet on was a controversial ending of the National Football League's 1925 season where the Pottsville Maroons were at first declared the league champions by many, but later they were stripped of their title by NFL Commissioner Joe Carr after violating his mandate on playing home games out of a team's assigned area. You know, we have a great, great story on that. We talk about it multiple times. Joe Ziemba talks about it. Chris Willis talks about it. We talked about it when we were discussing the possible Maroons. So we won't get any detail on that. But let's just say it was kind of a big mess and one that the Pottsville Maroons were uh, you know, challenging the NFL right up to just a couple years ago. So this took almost 100 years of uh, battling back and forth in the courts to see that Pottsville was the champions. Well, if they weren't, end up being the Chicago Cardinals who were defeated by Pottsville uh, earlier in the month. But, so NFL's a mess, getting bad press. Uh, you know, people are challenging. Great time to spring a new league that next season. So besides Rock Island uh, Independence joining uh, Pyle and Red Grange, the, the team that the house his star player on Red Grange would be the New York Yankees because they're playing in Yankee Stadium. So two great teams they have there. Well, they were joined by an already established Philadelphia Quakers franchise who had quite the, the good franchise going as well in another big city, Philadelphia. They were joined by the Boston Bulldogs, the Brooklyn Horsemen, Chicago Bulls, Cleveland Panthers, Los Angeles Wildcats, and the Newark Bears. All these teams were formed just for the AFL and joined the fray to form the charter members of what it was being dubbed as the Grange League, right after Red Grange. Well, the Quakers and the Yankees were the best two clubs in the AFL. They by far had the top attendance and best players on those two teams. The rest of the league's teams struggled to compete on the field financially right out of the gate. The upstart league was not devoid of talent, though, as besides Red Grange, there was Harry Stooldrayer that played for Brooklyn. You remember him? He was one of the four horsemen. George Wildcat Wilson uh, played for Los Angeles. Remember the the great uh, Rose Bowl games uh, that he played on in uh, up in uh, the north upper Northwest. So representing the West Coast was a great thing for George Wildcat Wilson. Joey Sterneman. You've heard Joe Ziemba talk about him quite a bit, but he played for the Chicago franchise. Al Cruz played for Philadelphia. Also, uh, George Tully and Bull Behem and Century Milstead all were with the Philadelphia Quakers. Just some great linemen there, especially the last two. And Eddie Tryon uh, played for New York with Red Grange. And actually, Tryon ended up being the leading scorer in the American Football League. Scored more points than even Red Grange himself. And uh, you know, guys like George Wildcat Wilson and Harry Stuhldreher. So, well, those were among the best players and, uh, you know, the key draws when people would go to watch the games. But the NFL was not about having to compete 
with baseball already, and they already knew they had to compete with college football, but now they had the threat of this new professional football league as well. They developed a strategy based on covering as much area as they could geographically in order to counter the measures of the AFL. The Buccaneers of Los Angeles, the Eskimos of Duluth, and the Colonels of Louisville, and even the Buffalo Rangers were all considered showcase teams. Uh, the first efforts of the league to reach beyond the Northeast and Midwest and counter the move by Pyle to the far west with the Wildcats location. Uh, he would put the Buccaneers in there to be a representative of that area. Well, the experiment with showcasing didn't fly well in public attendance. L.A., Louisville, and Duluth barely had a home game to speak of. They were basically road warriors, traveling teams, fodder for the East Coast uh, teams to to beat up on a little bit. And three of the four four teams uh, only lasted a single season as the Buccaneers and the Colonels both folded while the Rangers reverted back to their previous team mascot, the Bison. And only the Eskimos returned in 1927. And I said that all four of those teams were weak. Well, the Eskimos were not. Uh, they were actually a pretty good team, but they played all road games, never got a whole, much of a home game. Kind of cold in Duluth, and the winter sets in early there. And it was mainly due to their famous star and gate draw, running back Ernie Nevers from Stanford University. You remember we've talked about him quite a bit. While the American Football League completed their season with the Philadelphia Quakers emerging as the top team, finishing with an American Football League best 8-2 record, and oddly enough in the NFL, another team from the Philly area would win that league. The Frankfurt Yellow Jackets were named the NFL champions after finishing the season with the best record in the National Football League. Uh, We've got a great story on the Yellow Jackets uh, with a guest we recorded a little over a year ago. Uh, Got a great link on Pigskin Dispatch in this episode to find out about that. Uh, Pyle knew that his AFL was in deep trouble as most of the franchises would not make it to another season. They were just too financially broke to be able to put a field team on the field again. Uh, They were having trouble and most of them were not paying their players properly as by contract. And there was one last hope. Maybe if they were shown as worthy adversaries and on equal footing with the NFL, in competition at least, his team could survive or possibly merge with the older pro league. That was the real goal. Now the Quakers, though successful on the field, were desperate for revenue and had challenged their local NFL rivals, the NFL champion Frankfurt Yellow Jackets, to an exhibition game. Frankfurt, as the NFL's champions, had played the AFL title uh, holding Quakers. They would be nearly an early version of the Super Bowl. You know, the best of the AFL against the best of the NFL. But that wasn't going to happen. Quakers really weren't that interested in doing it. But there was another NFL team that was, and that was the New York Giants. The Giants were sort of a middle-of-the-pack team. They finished 7th out of 22 teams in 1926. Uh, They had a record of 8-4-1, but they wanted to play another game. They would love to make a little bit more jing in their pockets, and their owner, Tim Morrow, was up for the challenge as well. So they accepted the challenge of the Quakers. But the only catch is they had to come and play the game in New York City at the Polo Grounds, the Giants' home field. On December 12th, 1926, the Philadelphia Quakers, AFL champions, played an exhibition game in a heavy snowstorm against the New York football Giants. About 5,000 brave bundled souls battered 
and beaten by the wind and snow and really horrible weather, cold air, uh, got to see the Giants cream the Quakers 31 to nothing, showing that the, even a mediocre team in the NFL could beat the NFL champions very handily. Probably could have been worse on a dry field. Well, that loss was sort of the death knell and spelled the end for the Quakers and, in essence, the AFL. With most of the teams in bad financial condition like Chicago and the Traveling Wildcats, the Quakers folded up shop too after this crushing NFL domination by the Giants, 31-0 drubbing, along with the league at the end of the year. When their best team can't survive, you know, nobody's going to survive. The league folded. However, one team did emerge and survive, the Yankees. They were taken into the NFL out of great respect for Harold Red Grange, for one, and at the begging and pleading and apologizing of one C.C. Pyle. And they ended up lasting another two years before they all also eventually went under. That final year was without Red Grange. He ended up going back and you know, ended his contract with Pyle, went back and signed with George Hallis, played uh, for the Bears once again. We've got some more great history on that, on the Chicago Bears. And but it has started as a year of uncertainty and excitement in 1926 for professional football, and the landscape of the paid level of the sport had changed drastically over the course of just a couple months in that 1926 season. Yes, the season of 26 was interesting and somewhat pivotal as the NFL proved it could overcome the challenge of an upstart league, even when they lost their biggest star to that league. Some lessons that they would learn and probably use in the future as more competitors would come up and sprout up all over the place on the landscape of professional football with everybody trying to get a piece of that big apple. Now, hope you enjoyed this little bit of history. This is Football History Rewind number 59. Part number 60 will be coming up shortly. Not exactly sure when we'll release that, but don't worry. we got some more great football history that's coming up. Uh, lots of it planned. You heard about our Rose Bowl spectacular we're going to be having here for the, you know, the end of the year, that last uh, 30 or 40 days. Lots of great things planned there. I think you're really going to enjoy that history. And, of course, we have our normal football history that we talk about uh, each and every day. So, till tomorrow, everybody, have a great gridiron day. Peeking up at the clock, the time's running down. We're going to go into victory formation, take a knee, and let this baby run out. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you back tomorrow for the next podcast. We invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleet Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, football fans. This is Ross, the host of the Pigskin Tales podcast. I just need a few moments of your time to talk about the host of the Pigskin Dispatch podcast, Darren Hayes. He's expanded the pig pen to search out information on the history of all team sports. It's a quest to find out about the competitors, teams, and places chronicled throughout athletic history. 
through the uniforms and gear the participants used and wore. And he is taking you, the listener, with him on this educational journey to preserve sports history on the Sports Jersey Dispatch, found here on the Sports History Network. His newest podcast, called Jersey Dispatch, is all based on the jerseys that all the greats used to wear. You can find Darren Hayes and the Pigskin Dispatch podcast, as well as Jersey Dispatch, on your favorite podcast provider multiple times each week. So remember that, Darren Hayes, the host of the Pigskin Dispatch and Jersey Dispatch podcasts. It's found right here on the Sports History Network.